On this episode of Empower 305, Assistant Fire Chief and Emergency Manager, Robert Evia. We're fortunate that the city, although we're very populous, we're, we're small geographically, so we're able to really take advantage and create programs that, you know, in a large county or large state, they, they would have more difficulty doing it just because of the geographical layout. So we took advantage of that and said, hey, we can offer this service. Let's do it to protect our most vulnerable. Hello and welcome everyone to Empower 305. Thank you for joining us. I'm Stephanie Severino, Director of Communications for the City of Miami, and you're listening to Episode 8 of the Empower 305 podcast. Today, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Assistant Fire Chief and Emergency Manager, Robert Evia. Hello, sir. How are you? Hi, How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for making the time to speak with us. We know you are extremely busy and have been busier than ever, I think is safe to say, uh, safe, safe to say in the past couple of years. But we're here to talk to you about all things emergency management, from storm readiness to a global pandemic. Are you ready? I'm ready. So in your current role, you've been, with, uh, you've been faced with natural disasters such as hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, also building collapses and a global pandemic. I personally saw firsthand how essential the function of an emergency manager is during any of those. I sat in the meetings you organized, I was in the many calls at all hours in the day that you would host to ensure our government continued to function and to also safeguard the lives and well-being of all of our residents. How will you describe your role, in a nutshell, if you will, during the last two years in a city like ours? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, it's a great honor to be invited to talk about emergency management and talk about uh, the role that emergency managers play. When you, when you look at emergency management from a federal level or whether it's a state level or county, even ours at a municipal level, the functions really are, are focused on the mission areas of, of emergency management. And that is mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery to both natural and man-made disasters. So that includes, yes, storms, it includes pandemics, perhaps acts of terrorism. And, and the way I best characterize emergency management is in your local government, you have a police department, you have a fire department, but what happens when an event occurs that's so large that exceeds the capabilities of your local resources, right? So if there's a hurricane that comes, uh, a storm that comes, or an act of terrorism or a pandemic, the police department, the fire department, they'll respond initially, but they're going to tap out of the resources, and we, we need resources that are at a county level or a state level or a federal level. Resources may be people or equipment or materials, and as those resources come in, well, who's going to manage the coordination of those resources, prioritize those resources, and that's really where emergency managers come in. They're, they're establishing a structure that never existed before. Right? We have a city administration that runs city departments, and we have de department directors that run departments. Um, but when these other resources come in, these other people come in, how are they managed? And that's really the role that I have in the team that we have here in emergency management is to help manage those resources and, and like I said, prioritize them. But also there's a lot of new information coming in, right? At the time of a storm, we have to analyze before the storm, you know, what are we looking at? What's the severity? How do we? How should we prepare? Um, do we talk about evacuation? You know, all these things that we talk about, we coordinate with resources like the like FPL, um, the county, and then after the storm, 
you know, what is the damage? What has happened? Where are the needs? And as this information comes in, we want this information to be centralized. So we work out of an emergency operations center, that information is funneling in, and we establish a hierarchy that from the very top portion, that strategic level where we have our city officials and elected officials and, and really the, the, the 30,000 feet in the sky view of what is happening, um, priorities are set, and then we in emergency management basically operationalize those priorities with uh, the help of all the department directors and resources and the boots on the ground to get the city back up to close to where it was before um, fairly quickly, uh, and then keep on moving in that direction so we can hopefully build even better sometimes after a disaster, whether it be natural or man-made. Uh, we learn from, from the disaster and we're better prepared for for similar events like it in the future. In a nutshell, you asked. That's emergency I management. did. And you said the word fairly quickly. Typically with storms, and I don't believe in my lifetime, we had ever experienced a pandemic. So in this scenario, you were basically activated, partially activated, for almost two years or more. We're, we're, right. we're still going. So how, how does that compare? Well, I think the pandemic really, with all emergency managers, and I put this with, with the, the, the most you know, uh, um, humble preface that I came into my position at the end of October of uh, 2019, and a few months later, I was dealing with the pandemic, or we were dealing with the pandemic here as a city, um, and we had never faced that in the world, right? We'd never, we had never faced a pandemic in modern society. The last was, you know, uh, you know, the, the flu, Spanish flu, the Spanish yeah. flu. But in, in the last nearly hundred years, or in a hundred years, we had not managed that. So you know, we didn't have emergency managers that were experienced in managing a pandemic. Then there was, you know, lack of resources. You know, you think back to the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't have really testing available. Um, we, we really didn't know what we were dealing with as, as far as the illness. We were get, uh, receiving information from the CDC, and they were doing their best they could with their scientists, but that information kept on evolving, and you're making decisions based on information that, that, that evolves, right? So it put us in, in a very uh, difficult position at times, but I, but I believe as a city and as a county, as a state, and as a country, we responded... Um, you know, very well to to a pandemic that um, really devastated. Um, that was really very devastating. I lost, you know, I, I, as you know, one of my, my closest friends uh, was a victim of, of the pandemic, passed away. So from a personal level, um, it affected me very personally. Um, but also in my occupation here was a challenge that I never could imagine I would you know, have to manage. You know, we started this podcast after the city reopened last year as a new way to share information with the public about exactly that, the city's programs and initiatives. And as a lead of Miami Fire Rescue's Division of Emergency Management, you are at the forefront of a lot of these, I would say, life-saving breakthrough efforts that the city has been pushing, particularly uh, when it comes to the pandemic. For example, and I heard this at the exercise that we participated in uh, not too long ago about the homebound COVID testing units. I think we were the very first municipal agency to do that. Just the logistical and operational aspect of the COVID testing and vaccination sites in conjunction, conjunction obviously, with other agencies. But that, to me, all of it, and I'm sure to a lot of people, sounds like a monumental task 
I know you couldn't do it alone. So how does it all come together? How is your division uh, broken down and who does what? Well, first of all, I like to say that I have like the smallest role, right? I'm the face, but I really have the smallest role. I have a magnificent team here, okay? And we rely heavily on what we call reservist. So the EOC really, when it's in, in, a, in a stage like we're monitoring for events, we have a much smaller staff. But we have a great relationship here in the city of Miami that the Division of Emergency Management is exactly that. It's a division that falls under the Department of Fire Rescue. And what that means is we have a benefit that a lot of other agencies don't have, that when a disaster is coming, we can pull firefighters, police officers, um, uh, department employees into the EOC, and they function in a new role as a member of the Emergency Operations Center. Right, So we can boost up our manpower fairly, fairly, fairly quickly with help from the great men and women that work in our departments that, that are trained above and beyond their normal duties. That is really how we got a lot of this accomplished. We have the Department of Fire Rescue has a health and EMS division. We have medical doctors. So we relied on them immensely. I relied on them personally on a personal level to guide us and direct us on, on what was the best way to manage this. We knew in the city that we have a, we have a very large elderly population. We're going to have testing sites. A lot of these folks don't drive. They couldn't get there. So we thought of, like, how can we bring the mobile testing vaccination program to their home? Um, we're fortunate that the city, although we're very populous, we're, we're small geographically. So we're able to, to really take advantage and, and, and create programs that, you know, in a large county or large state, they, they would have more difficulty doing it just because of the geographical layout. So we took advantage of that and said, hey, we can offer this service. Let's do it to protect our most vulnerable, which is our elderly. And that's how the mobile program got started. And in a nutshell, how we rely on reservists and outside agencies, the county, the state, the federal government to come in and we co help coordinate those resources. But it's really not, you know, me. It's not, you know, it's not, you know, a handful of people that are managing this whole thing. We're, we're really relying on a lot of help from other people. One aspect of your division, I think, that always calls my attention, and I just think that is fascinating what they do, is your planning, um, I, I would say, section. Yes. I know those are the people in charge of documenting everything, because as we know, we get reimbursed by the federal government. So unless you have evidence-based records, you might not get paid back for all of that. I, I would say that they're instrumental to your operation, correct? Yeah, so like in any organization, anybody listening to this, you know that there's, you know, the people that get the glory, and then there are the real people that are working in the back, like, you know, in a business in a warehouse, or that without them, the, the business wouldn't function, mm -hmm. but, but they really never get the accolades. That for us are two sections, and you said it correctly, they are sections. It's this planning section, and then we have a, a finance and recovery section. So the planning section is really looking at forecasting. They were the ones telling us, hey, this pandemic, before it even before we had our first case in the United States, we were already acquiring, thanks to our, our fire chief who was, was you know, brilliant in doing this, in acquiring personal protective equipment um, ahead before we even had our first case because our planning section was monitoring what was occurring in Europe and what was, monitor, uh, what was occurring in the, in the world. Translates that to a storm, the planning section is telling us you know, not only are we relying on the National Weather Service, but they're compiling that data to give us an accurate picture of what we need to prepare. While we are bringing up these reservists, while we're buying personal protective equipment or preparing for storms, whatever it may be, it requires strict documentation, like you say. So we have an entire section 
that is documenting the work we do. The federal government reimburses after there's a, there's a disaster declaration by the president. It's, it's called the Stafford Act. The federal government allows us to apply to a grant. It's a public assistance grant, which basically states the money that we spend during the disaster, in large part, most of it, is reimbursable by the federal and state government. But it would be like you, all right? If you said, hey, I, you know, my house was, was, uh, was uh, destroyed in a storm, or my roof was destroyed in a storm, and I, and, and I want the government to help me, you know, pay me back for my, for, for my roof um, that I spent money on. And the government may have a program that does that, right? But what are they going to ask for? They're going to ask for, well, do you have pictures before, what your house looked like before? Do you have pictures what it looked like, you know, after the storm? Can you send us, you know, that you tried to get the best price to fix it? So at a very large scale, it's kind of like with the same thing that the government asks us. When we hire people and we're paying them overtime to to handle a pandemic, or we're hiring individuals to, to work after a storm, or we're buying chainsaws, or we're buying fuel, or whatever it may be to get the community back up and running, the government is going to ask us for all the documentation of hour by hour what each employee was doing, what is the work they accomplished, their payroll forms, the equipment, we why do we buy it and not lease it? Did we use the most, were we fiscally responsible in what we were doing to the taxpayer? This is scrutinized for us. So these are the decisions that we are making, but we're also very aware of um, the financial responsibility to the taxpayer when we're managing a storm that we're, we're going to do what we have to do, but we're not going to do it frivolously, frivolously or carelessly. Um, we're going to do it in accordance with best practices. And, and, and we have sections that help monitor and help do that. They don't get any of the glory, but can you imagine? They're, to me, they're superstars. They're very, 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 I was gonna very say, important. Kudos to all the planners. For sure. <laughs> now, switching gears here too, because uh, as we know, hurricane season is around the corner. I mentioned an exercise that all department directors participated in, and that's where we kind of witness basically how all of the support functions during an activation collaborate with each other to ensure the continu continuity of municipal services anytime a disaster hits. So your division is in fact responsible for those yearly trainings for all department directors, but also to, um, you're in charge of coordinating the planning, preparedness, response, recovery, and mitigation, like you said. On your website, you say that this section creates updates and administers the city's comprehensive emergency management plan. And I think you touched on it a little bit, but if you could tell our listeners what that's about. I would really appreciate it. And then just talk to me about what it's like at the EOC when we're on lockdown. Right. I'm sure it's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so the comprehensive emergency management plan in emergency management nerd lingo, we call it the SEMP, mm -hmm. right? And you'll see that in many organizations. Uh, you'll see it in private organizations, in governments, um, in hospitals. Um, a SEMP is basically a plan that considers, hey, if there is a disaster, whether it be natural or man-made, there are some assumptions that we can make on the way we're going to handle these things. Um, activating the emergency operations center, things like we spoke about before, what is going to be the hierarchy in that disaster? These are things that we can have a plan for ahead of time. So if a disaster strikes, we're not figuring out, well, who's going to be in charge and who's going to come to the EOC? This is already, we already have established this in our comprehensive emergency management plan, like many even private businesses do. So annually, what we do is because we have a rotation of department directors or new employees, annually, as part of our management plan, we're required to 
to conduct an exercise to basically get everybody up to speed. A lot of what we're talking about here in this podcast, right? We talk about what the role of emergency management is, what their role is, and what the role of the EOC is. In addition, I'd like to mention, yes, we have the department directors, but as a municipality, we also cover uh, other municipalities and organizations that don't have their own emergency management agencies, like the city of Key Biscayne and Miami Beach has, has, a, um, has a CNR EOC. Um, universities like Barry University, Miami-Dade College, we, we support their, their functions in our EOC at the time of a disaster, and they participate in that exercise as well. Um, what it's like in an EOC, you know, it's stressful at first. Um, you know, it's a lot of information overload, right? Because we're trying, regardless of the disaster, in the, in the very beginning phases of solving any problem, right? Whether you're solving a problem in your home or whoever's listening to this in their own private business or in your job, the first part of solving a problem is analyzing the issue. You really can't start you know, making decisions or putting boots on the ground until you really have an understanding of what's happening. And that generally is what we're concentrating on at the beginning is getting as much information as we can to really know what we're dealing with and then look at the resources we have and then very strategically deploy those resources so we can handle the, the emergency. Um, I find it very exciting. Um, I think most people that work in the EOC and are in this type of work thrive on that type of environment. I will tell you from a personal level, there is stress because we all do have families, right? So, you know, I have a wife and a son and the hurricane, I live, you know, in Miami, the hurricane's headed here. You know, we're worried about that as well. So, you know, those of us who work in the emergency operations center, we're, you know, days ahead of preparing our family and make sure our, our our house is locked down because well before the storm, we're the EOC and we're dedicated to the community and our family has to have a plan ahead of time. I, I have a simp in my house, I guess you could say, <laughs> of what's going what's gonna to happen at the when time. When it's crunch time, of, time, time of, yeah. When it's crunch time. But fortunately, I'm a very supportive family. I've been, uh, this will be my 24th year in the Department of Fire Rescue. So I think they're, they're mm-hmm. comfortable with, uh, you know, that, that may not be around at the time. Yeah, of the and the craziness. Yeah. I want to say, and I want to take this opportunity, I'll get a little technical here, but I want to thank you personally. Both the fire department and the police department are actually making it easier for my office, the Office of Communications, to put information out, to have press conferences that are able to go live from the EOC, and that was thanks in part to your section and maybe the planners too, finding the money to make that possible. So thank you for that. Now let's go into preparedness tips. Like I said, on June 1st, the season starts. We're used to that here in South Florida. Here in the same words, tips, this is the time to get ready. Is it the time to get ready? And what is it that people need to have at home right about now? So 100% it's time to get ready. And we know that um, hurricane season starts June 1st. Uh, but we're already seeing, you know, weather in the tropics and things come up and um, there's, there's already uh, weather brewing. So let's talk about like the basic requirements on a very personal level. You have to have at least a week's supply of food and, and water, medications more, because we don't know if they're, they're, your pharmaceuticals will be uh, available at the pharmacy, if they'll even be open. So we say for medications and essential like health uh, requirements, at least two weeks supply of that. Um, you know, I, I want to I throw out a very important statistic, okay? We've been hit with a few Category 5 storms in the United States, right? Here in Florida, we've seen, we've seen Hurricane Andrew, right? We've seen Hurricane Michael uh, recently. Um, four 
four Category 5 storms. There's only been five, but four category, four of them that hit the United States, four of them were a tropical storm three days before they hit landfall. It went from tropical storm to a Category 5 hurricane in 72 hours. So if anyone is thinking, well, I'm going to wait to see if the storm is bad enough, you're not going to have time. You're not going to have time. You have to have your water ahead of season. You have to have your medications ahead of season. You have to have your non-perishable foods ahead of season. You make sure that at your home that you have, you know, storm shutters or hurricane windows or some way, some way to shutter. You have to have your personal documents if you're going to evacuate, especially if you're in a coastal area, in a zone A in the county or zone B. You have to make sure that you have, and this really applies for anybody, but I would say even heightened for those who are living, living coastal, um, because the threshold is a lot lower for them. You need to have your important documents, your birth certificate, your social security, your marriage certificate, you know, all these important documents that you have, you're not going to have time, imagine, if we tell you from tropical storm to a major storm, which is rear above, and within 72 hours, how are we going to shutter our home, buy water, get fuel, get get uh, um, um, all our, our, our household in order, and all our documents? It's going to be panic time in mm -hmm. your house. It's already a stressful situation. So now that we have time, it's better to prepare for the worst. If nothing happens, then thankfully it didn't. But but now it's definitely is the time. So that's from a personal level. From a home level, um, you know, we, we talk about power lines and things that are close to electrical lines. Um, should that do that, you know, earlier in the season? Hopefully it's done by now. You know, in spring we recommend, but if not, we recommend, you know, hiring a certified arborist, someone who can look at look at the trees, look look at your lines. Um, uh, FPL also offers a service where they trim, trim around the lines, but those are really the the, uh, the 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 canopy that we're worried about, the ones that are that are really close to ele to electrical lines. I know you have a really special program too that perhaps teaches people to how to get ready for this. It's the CERT program. It stands for Community Emergency Response Team. Is any of those? I know there are exercises. You guys go out in the community. Is any of that happening soon that people can take advantage of and learn how to get ready before the season and where can people find out more information? I'm so excited that you asked me about this because if there's anything that I'm really excited about it is the community emergency response team. Um, I, you know, being a firefighter, you know, before I was an assistant fire chief, I was a chief and a captain, you know, on all those roles, the, the one downfall uh, or the one downside to being a firefighter is that we really interact with the community on most times when a person is at their worst, right? They called 911 because of a medical emergency or a fire, and we're certainly glad to be there. But for a firefighter, I think it's a remarkable treat to be able to interact with the community on a non-emergency basis. So nationwide, there's a federal program called CERT, Community Emergency Response Team. And, and as a city, we had this program up and running several years ago. We are now, um, uh, through grant funds, we have been able to invest a little bit into the program and reestablish the program where we have uh, purchased, you know, from a logistical standpoint, uh, the equipment and, and trailers and more modern technology that we need to support a program. And we are going to start a, we have a train the trainer program coming up soon. And then in the month of July, we are going to have our first community training. We will be advertising the entire month of June. Stephanie, I'm really going to need your help on this. <laughs> yes. We're going to advertise in the month of June mm -hmm. uh, for all city residents who want to participate in this program. And what what a CERT team member um, 
what a certain member uh, participates in is is a myriad of things, myriad of things from a very like basic emergency response since we're talking about hurricanes. So right after a hurricane, we send what are called LSAT teams, life safety assessment teams, out in the streets. Right? They we have them pre staged in in locations throughout the city, and they're composed of the fire department, code enforcement, public works. Where they have tractors and 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 uh, front loaders. Uh, heavy equipment to basically push and move and clear streets because we have to we have to clear the thoroughfares the major thoroughfares that lead to hospitals and that lead to expressways but they're not you know able to cover every single street right so a cert team if we had cert members deployed after post storm they would go out into their communities and do an assessment remember i told you that the most important thing in the EOC is we need we need a picture of what's out in the streets. These CERT members will be equipped with the tools to walk the streets of their neighborhood, provide basic aid to their neighbors. I mean, they're they're a force to be reckoned with, and we really, really, really need them. We really have a great uh, relationship with them, and we'll give them the tools and the training to be able to do it. Obviously, we're not going to put them in, in harm's way or put them in, in, in a role that um, is above their ability, but we're going to train them to do um, basic assessment and be a part of the community and really be of a true value to us. This is not, you know, something that is just smoke and mirrors. We're just, no, there is a value to having this, to, to people that know their community, that know the individuals and know the streets of the community, give that information back to us. But we can use them for a lot of other things. You know, we can use them at, at events to provide, you know, water or in a special event. Uh, in major scenes, fire scenes to provide uh, help provide rehab. So there's different roles that I can do in integrating with our department. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great time that you asked this because our recruiting is now, like I said, now in the month of June. We're going to have a, a demonstration of the equipment and the and the trucks at our commission meetings to help recruit people that may be excited mm-hmm. that are involved in the community, going to commission meetings. They may be involved in search as well. And we're going to work with our district office. We're going to work with you. And uh, as many members as want to be involved, we're, we're actively recruiting. We have uh, on our emergency management website at uonmiamigov.com, there is a uh, uh, application registration form for those uh, interested in CERT. And we'll contact you and, and uh, <laughs> we look forward to working with you. I know. So you already know, be on the lookout for that happening very soon. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Empower 305 podcast. Chief, I personally want to thank you for your service and the many hours of hard work that I've personally witnessed during and after. Thank you so much. Before the pandemic and beyond. Special thanks to all of you guys out there for listening, either at home at home or on the go. Your support means so much to us. Uh, as I always say, make sure you follow all of us on social media. I know the department is on social media at Miami Fire Rescue. And of course, the city of Miami on all of our digital channels. Thanks again for being the best audience out there. And we look forward to seeing you next time right here on Empower 305.